You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Hi, this is Justin Hibbard, pastor of New Hope Chapel. I wanted to thank you for listening to this message from our teaching team, and I pray that God uses it to touch your heart. Well, welcome this beautiful Easter Sunday. I'm Julie Coleman. I'm part of a six-member teaching team here at New Hope, and I'll be uh, giving the message this morning. We're going to be taking a break from where we've been covering over the past couple of weeks, actually a couple of months now. Um, We've been studying the book of Philippians, and we will continue that next week. But we're taking a break this week to think through some of the implications of the resurrection, since it is Easter Sunday. Uh, My mother died in 1999, and uh, my sister and I didn't know much about planning funerals. And, you know, how do you know until you have to do one, right? And so my dad was um, still alive, and so we, you know, we got through the whole the whole funeral thing, and uh, we're, a- we're able to, you know, put my mom in the grave, and, and that was done. Okay, so a couple of months later, I was back up in Connecticut again, and my sister and I were driving near to the cemetery, and I said, we should just go check out mom's gravesite, make sure everything is in good shape. So we did, and we parked, and we walked over to her gravesite, and um, everywhere you could see was a veteran's cemetery, because my dad was a veteran, and so uh, everywhere you saw were these little white crosses, beautiful, beautiful thing. But my mother's grave had this like stake and on the top of the stake was an index card and it said, Roberta Zine. My sister and I <laughs> looked at this thing in horror. I said, first of all, if the resurrection comes and my mom is still in the grave, we are in really big trouble. <laughs> She sees we didn't get her a gravestone. And, you know, we're, we're kind of laughing and picturing, like, you know, the, the guys out in the, the, the house that takes care of all the grave sites looking out and saying, oh, it's raining. We better go out and change the Zion Index card again. So we got home and told my dad, uh, you, we need a gravestone. And we did get that taken care of. It was just one of those oversights that happened in, in uh, all the commotion that went on with her passing. But, you know, as I stood that day looking over the rows and rows of crosses, And I just started thinking about every person that was represented by a cross that was buried in the ground beneath. Every person, they mattered to somebody. They were somebody's son or daughter. They were somebody's mom or dad or brother or sister. They mattered to somebody. But now they're gone. And their memory was quickly fading. And within a couple of generations, no one would remember anything about them but their name, if that. And it just kind of gave me this feeling of hopelessness and meaninglessness to a life lived here on earth. Makes it all seem so pointless. Well, that would be true if it weren't for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, So this morning, I want to take you through a passage of scripture that Paul talks about the implications of the resurrection and why it's so important. I learned a lot this week as I studied this thing. Um, Because understanding the implications of the resurrection are going to be transforming for you, just as it was for me, because it's going to empower you to live out your days on earth with meaning and purpose, because the resurrection is a game changer. It's a really big deal. So I want to take a look at that this morning. We're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 15. If you have your Bibles, please open to that and keep it open so you can be referring back to it. But 1 Corinthians 15 Um, starting in verse 12 and reading to verse 22. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And 
If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as an animal die, so also in Christ will all be made alive. Let's ask God's help with this passage. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is alive. We thank you for the resurrection, for all it means to the gospel message itself, to our salvation, and to the meaning of our life here on earth and in eternity. Help me, God, as I try to show this, unpack this scripture for um, the audience, and just help us, God, to really understand. Give us spiritual eyes with your Holy Spirit. Get me out of the way, and just let your power, your scripture shine through. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, this was written to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth, which was in Greece. And I got a little map here to show you. Um, there's the Mediterranean Sea. You can see the boot of Italy there with Rome. And then there's Greece, modern-day Greece. And Ath- uh, excuse me, Corinth was uh, on a little isthmus between two peninsulas, and it was there right there in the heart of Greece. Um, and it was, uh, even though Rome was now in charge of all of this now, it was the Roman Empire at the time of the writing, of this letter to the Corinthians, the Hellenistic thought, the Greek thought that had been prevalent for hundreds of years before that was still very influential in the minds of these Greeks living in Corinth. And I just want to give you a real quick rundown of what the Greek thought was, all the philosophers thought, the kind of current thing for them, um, commonly accepted. Um, Greek thought in the afterlife. Okay, so the first thing was is that the humans, Melanie, you can get the next slide. Okay, the uh, humans are composed of two inharmonious parts, the lower body, physical form, and then the higher uh, spirit, so body and soul. The body is physical, it's perishable, and the soul is spiritual and imperishable. And death is the separation of the soul from the body. Uh, The body shed like a snake skin, and the immortal soul continues on in a purely spiritual existence. There was no bodily resurrection in Greek thought on the afterlife. So the Corinthians had believed the gospel that Jesus had been raised from the dead, but some were kind of confused about that whole thing because they didn't think there would ever be a bodily resurrection because that would be matching the perishable with the imperishable. Those preconceived notions were giving them trouble. So how could an earthly body be raised up to live in a heavenly realm? So Paul addresses the issue. Um, if there's no such thing as a bodily resurrection, he tells them there are serious implications. So we're going to go back to the beginning of the chapter and look just a little bit of what Paul had preached to them originally. Um, he gives the gospel in three quick phrases in verses one, uh, 3 to 4. For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, 
And here's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That was the gospel message he preached. Look at the three components. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And he was raised again on the third day. Now, something interesting to note. In the Greek, the original language that was written, the first two, he died and he was buried, those verb tenses are in the past tense, which we are all very familiar with. Something that happened uh, another time. But the third one, he was raised on the third day, that's in something called the Greek perfect tense, and it's different then uh, we don't really have a perfect tense in, in the English language that kind of compares, but it's, it carries the idea of something that happened in the past that has a continuing effect on the present. So he died, he was buried, past tense, raised on the third day, happened then, but had a continuing effect on even today. Isn't that cool? Okay, so that's important to know. So you could read it sort of like this. This is paraphrased, but it's getting the idea across. Christ died, but is not dead. He was buried, but he's not in the grave. He was raised, and he's alive now. And that fact should make us make it different. Then Paul gives a list of witnesses to the bodily resurrection of Christ. And you can see them all listed here. Over 500 people saw Jesus bodily resurrected. Um, it wasn't just a spirit hovering around. Um, this is not an exhaustive list, by the way. There were other people that saw him. I think of the women at the tomb that Kateri was reading about this morning. That's not included on the list. But the letter to the Corinthians was actually written several years before any of the Gospels was written. So the lists are going to be a little bit different. Um, but it is an impressive list of over 500 people who saw the resurrected Jesus for themselves. So then, after he says all that, the three components of the Gospel, who saw the bodily resurrection... Then Paul writes the passage that I just read to you. Um, and I want to go through Paul's list of if Christ was not raised, this is the implication, and there's six of them. Um, let's go through it implication by implication and find out why the resurrection is such a big deal, because it is. So the first one is this, he says. If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised and here's the first implication, then our preaching is in vain. Um, I go to lots of writers' conferences, and uh, one year I was attending a workshop by a man named Chip McGregor. He's now a pretty famous agent. But back then he was uh, writing books, and he had just collaborated with uh, two other people, um, another man and a woman, and they had written a book um, which came out in 1998 or 1999 about how to prepare for the coming millennium. I don't know if you remember far back, but we were all a little bit nervous about the millennium. There was something about the computer and the dates and all the power systems were going to fail and we were all stockpiling rice and water and a little bit nervous about the future. Do you remember those days, right? No one really knew. Well, of course, uh, the millennium changed and that day came and went. And a few months later, Chip was with the two other authors that had written this book on the millennium and how to prepare for the great apocalypse. And so... Uh, they were sitting around the table kind of talking and talking about how the book had sold and that kind of thing. And, and the woman said, you know, I really felt, I feel good about that book. I think we really did a service to the public because we, you know, helped them prepare and get ready for, you know, what could have been happening. And, and Chip and the other author looked at each other and then they looked at her and said, nothing happened. 
when the millennium came and went and the change happened and nothing happened, that book wasn't worth the paper it was printed on, right? Because it was based on a premise that wasn't true. And that's what Paul is saying here. Our preaching is in vain. The content of the gospel is seriously compromised if one-third of the message, those three components, is not valid. The apostles did not turn the ancient world upside down by preaching some kind of, preaching some kind of ethical message. They proclaimed the good news of Christ's victory over sin and death. The, rex, the, the resurrection is the thing that set Christianity apart from every other religion. Because without the resurrection, the gospel dwindles into a kind of inspiring story of a man who suffered heroically as a victim of human treachery. Um, and you know, the idea of someone dying for others, that's not something new. In, in ancient literature, there was plenty of stories about people dying for others. But the difference between those stories and the story of Jesus was, once that mission was complete, he came back from the dead, showing his power over death itself. He remains alive and will return again. That's the message. So without that, the, the gospel is invalid. And the second thing he says is, your faith is also in vain. Because without the resurrection, the gospel is a hoax. It has no real power to change lives or do anything else except deceive. Another implication, Paul lists. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. You know, my husband's always telling me, and he reminds me, every time I write something, every time I speak, and I tell him, you know, an illustration I'm going to use, or a story, I write a story in some article I'm writing, he always says, check your facts. Did you check that? Did you make sure that's valid? And, and it gets a little irritating, I have to tell you, but he's right. He's right, because if I start telling some story that's not true, and here's a great example. Um, you, you ever heard that story about the missionary um, who was, you know, in trouble, that the tribes were all going to come and kill and murder everybody, right? And then they didn't. They all kind of walked away, and they were, you know, watching and wondering. So what, what, eventually the chief gets saved, and the missionary says, you know, that night when you were about to kill me and my family, like, what? And he said, oh, we saw the army of angels surrounding with torches, and we, we knew we couldn't, you know, beat them. I've always heard that story since I was a little kid, and so I wanted to use it in an article I was writing, so my husband said, well, you better fi find the source. I'm like, well, everybody knows that's a true story. He's like, look. So I did. I spent like, I don't know, a couple of hours looking. I could not find the missionary, the place. I couldn't find anything. It was just this nebulous story of some missionary in some jungle somewhere. The only source that I could trace it back to was Billy Graham because he wrote it in the book of angels, his book on angels. And I went and looked at that and didn't even have a footnote to confirm the the stuff. He didn't even know if it was real or not. And that's the problem. You just can't be up on a stage telling people stuff. And if it's not true, because what happens? If they find out that the thing you said isn't true, it's going to invalidate every other thing that you say. Well, if she got that wrong, what else is she going to get wrong? You have to validate your facts. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. Uh, it will be, we're, if we're false witnesses, then the whole gospel goes out the window. Because it would be, you know, telling a third of the stuff to be wrong. It's discrediting the rest of what we say. And so much would be based on a lie. 
A fourth implication. If Christ had not been raised, then your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Now, this one took me aback. Still in my sins. Christ died for my sins. Even if he didn't raise from the dead, he still took the punishment, right? So I couldn't figure out how would the resurrection make a difference about that. And I prayed on that and looked up all these verses trying to figure it out, and it was just bugging me all week. And then finally, I came across this verse in Romans 4.25. It says, He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Okay, so he, was, he died for my sin and he was raised because of my justification. So what did that mean? Well, justification, this particular Greek word, is a word that is a legal term. It was used in the courts, okay? And so when uh, a judge declares a person innocent of all charges, he is justifying the accused, okay? So God is declaring men free from guilt and acceptable to him. But what, what was missing in justification is that Christ raising from the dead was confirmation that the process was now complete, it's over. And um, I started thinking about courts, and I had to confirm with Estella about this, our, our lawyer, one of our lawyers in our group, because I wanted to make sure I wasn't getting this right and being validated. But anyway, um, basically what happens is a person is accused of a crime, of a crime and then is um, convicted. They have to serve out some kind of a sentence, a consequence for their actions. And so the judge assigns, you know, however long it is that the person has to remain in jail. Once that person has completed the sentence, has done everything, paid in full what his debt was because of his crime, then he was released. And official documentation goes out and judge signs it, um, confirming and sets the prisoner free. So being set free is a confirmation that the debt has been paid in full. Do you see where I'm going with this? So Jesus paid our debt in full. And when the judge banged the gavel and declared it over and the debt was done and the sentence was complete, Jesus raised from the dead. So in that way, his resurrection provides for our justification. Does that make sense? I love that idea. I love the idea that, it, you know, because if he paid for our sins and remains in the grave, is it over? Did it, you know, how did that work? And there's two verses that I found, another verse that I found that kind of confirms that in Hebrews. He, having offered one sacrifice for sins of all time, sat down at the right hand of God. The resurrection confirmed the debt was paid in full, as Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Someone I read wrote, and the resurrection was God's amen to Jesus' statement on the cross. Now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Fifth implication. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Without the hope of anything more, the dead are still in the grave, laying there beneath the ground, stuck in death. Paul calls Christ's resurrection in verse 20 the first fruits of those who are asleep. The first fruits were the first things to be harvest, harvested, and they were a symbol of the harvest to come. Paul wrote, since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Because if Christ was not raised, then neither will any of us be raised. 
we'd be confined to the grave, just like he is. And the resurrection, um, but the resurrection changed that. It's a pledge. It's a promise to those in Christ who will come after him. It's proof of certain resurrection of God's people. And the last implication, Paul says this, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Think about it. Spending your whole life living out a fraud. Christians have been taken. The cross, the world is right. The cross is foolishness. We're to be pitied, wasting our life following someone in something that's just an illusion. In short, without the resurrection, all hope is gone. We'd be like this author described, this quote I found on my friend's wall on Facebook this week. Most people willingly deceive themselves with a doubly false faith. They believe in eternal memory of men, things, deeds, peoples, and in rectification of deeds, errors, sins, and injustice. Both are sham. The truth lies at the opposite end of the scale. Everything will be forgotten and nothing will be rectified. All rectification, both vengeance and forgiveness, will be taken over by oblivion. Have you ever heard of a sadder quote than this? I took a course in college called Existential Literature. This would fit right in there. Nothing has meaning. Everything is without hope. That's where we would be without the resurrection. But there was one. And so it should make a difference in our life. So we get to the question, so what? What does all this have to do with me and Monday morning and how I'm going to live out my life here on this earth? Because that's what we really want to know, isn't it? How can I make my life matter? How can I make it so that it's not hopeless? Well, remember, Christ, Paul said this, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain, you are still in your sins, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, and we are of men to most be pitied. Now, what I want to do for the last few minutes of this message is I want to take those statements and I'll flip them around, and instead of looking if he hadn't been raised, I want to do a positive, because he has been raised. And let's talk about the flip side of that, the positive things that it does for us. And so, since Jesus is resurrected, the first implication is our faith is well-founded. It's on a foundation of rock. It's on a foundation of truth. And so we, want, uh, we know that our faith is well-founded because there is someone we can absolutely trust with our present and our future. He proved his love for us by giving his life, suffering in our place, paying the debt that we couldn't pay, but the grave could not keep him. And his resurrection proved his power over every conceivable enemy that we could have. Death, sin, Satan. We have trusted one who willingly gave his life and had the power to overcome death. You know, every other religion, the pilgrims go to the grave. Buddha, Muhammad, I can't even remember all the other people. But they all go to the grave to worship at the dead body. Christianity serves a savior who doesn't have a grave because he's not there. He's alive. Our faith is well-founded. We are forgiven is the second implication. When we have peace with God, 
was God's announcement, the resurrection, was that the payment was made in full. There's nothing more that can be done. Well, that's great news for this because you know what? We keep sinning. I don't know about you. I keep sinning a lot. But Paul said in Romans, um, where sin increases, grace abounded all the more. We can't out-sin the grace of God. We can't out-sin the payment that Jesus made on that cross and the, and the fact that he raised from the dead and showed his power over sin. Uh, Paul says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And uh, again in Romans, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the resurrection, because Jesus is resurrected, we are forgiven and have peace with God. And those who are in Christ, who are, who are asleep, asleep is how Paul puts it, are alive in him. In 2 Corinthians, Paul assures us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In Philippians, he says, I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better, yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. You see, there's no question in the Bible where those are who are in Christ, who have fallen asleep, are right now. They are not in the grave. They have been resurrected, and they're with the Lord. So we don't grieve the way the world does when a loved one passes away. Peter wrote, Our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. We don't need to fear death for our loved ones. We don't need to fear death for ourselves because Jesus rose victoriously over death and proved his ability and his commitment to raise us from death as well. And last of all, we are of all people most to be envied. Envied, not pitied. We have hope. Our life is purpose because we're living for a cause which has already proved victorious. We've put all our eggs in the right basket. Use a little Easter metaphor. Knowing what we know, every moment of every day has meaning. We love God who saved us and our response to his abundant love and his extravagant grace to us is to extend that outflow into the lives of others. There is no satisfaction in this life that is greater than resting in him. Jesus said himself, I came that my sheep might have life and have it abundantly. You know, as we were talking about this, my husband re uh, had me remember the idea of the, the uh, Negro spirituals that were uh, sung while people were enslaved and working hard in the fields. There wasn't a lot of hope there. You know, some tried to, to be able to buy themselves out of slavery, but few succeeded. It was, it, was a, it was a very terrible life. So how did they survive it? They placed their hope in the promise of God, in that resurrection. Two of the songs that I sang when I was in high school that are spirituals, Soon I will be done with the troubles of the world. I'm going to live with God. Another one we, always, we sang was, um, I've got a crown up in that kingdom. Ain't that good news? I've got a robe up in that kingdom. Ain't that good news? You know, I'm going to lay down this world. I'm going to shoulder up my cross and bring it home to Jesus. Ain't that good news? The hope of what awaited those poor working slaves gave them the strength to endure the back-breaking labor and trouble of this life. So someone who lives with hope they're a person to be envied. Remember that graveyard 
I talked about at the beginning. The index card is gone, but there you go. <clears throat> Looking at those gravestones can make everything seem meaningless and empty until you add the reality of the resurrection. Because like nothing else, the resurrection gives us hope and it gives meaning to every life here on earth. So whatever you face in this life, cancer diagnosis, death of a loved one, there's hope in the power of the resurrection. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God. Gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. I want to leave you with a song that just kind of sums up this whole message this morning. Sin was as black as could be. Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men. My example is He. The Word became flesh, and the light shined among us. His glory revealed. Living, He loved me.
is far away. Rising, he just is Thank you, God, that Jesus didn't remain in the grave. Thank you that with the power of his resurrection, he proved that we can trust him to have power over death and every enemy that is ours. Thank you, God, that he lives forever, interceding on our behalf, involved with our lives, and that uh, someday we will see him again, alive, in the clouds, coming in glory. We just thank you for the glorious truths of these resurrection. Help us to live them out in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.